G'day, I'm Rowan Mackey, and I'm joined by my dad, clinical psychologist Chris Mackey, and this is Psych Spiels and Silver Linings. G'day, Dad. How are you going today? Good, thanks, Rowan, and good to be with you for this big topic. Absolutely. It's a huge topic that we've got today and absolutely fascinating topic. I've so enjoyed looking into it in the last week or so and and I'm very much looking forward to speaking with you about it today and bringing it to everyone. We've called today's episode, The Meaning of a Midlife Crisis. So dad, midlife crisis, what a big topic that we've chosen today. But I suppose just to have a brief overview, what are we going to be talking about? Okay, well, funnily enough, whenever I ask people their understanding of a midlife crisis, they tend to talk about someone going out and buying a red sports car. Funnily enough, it always seems to be red for some reason. (laughs) But actually, as we'll talk about further, there are a lot of themes a lot deeper than that. It's a lot about challenges that people face around midlife with a greater sense of one's mortality and of life being finite in some ways. And it can concentrate people's minds on the direction they're going, the direction they're living in life. And that can lead to a lot of disquiet, as we'll talk about, a lot of challenge, a lot of confusion, a lot of uncertainty. And what you notice as a psychologist is that tends to ramp up the intensity of people's distress. Also, if they're going through a period of depression or anxiety reactions or dealing with any challenges in life, it adds an extra level of intensity to that challenge. But also outside of that, even if people aren't experiencing any particular kind of mental health difficulty or they haven't done so in the past, for many people that is a period of confusion and quite some distress where they have a sense of feeling challenged in the direction they're going in life and wondering if that's right for them. Well, it's been fascinating for me to look into some of this sort of stuff, Dad, because I suppose there's so much about a midlife crisis which is distinct to particular ages in a way and we'll have a bit of a chat about this later on but but I know the age to which people basically call up to our psychology practice, the most common age that people call up is the age of 39. So it is such a a common thing and and I suppose in some ways I relate to some of the ideas from it, Dad, but it's been really interesting to, I suppose, recognise that There are some things about it which I think are maybe distinct to midlife and we'll elaborate on some of that today and get into exactly why that is. Yes, and a number of things that we talk about today, we've drawn heavily on the work of Peter O'Connor, an Australian psychotherapist who wrote a wonderful book called Understanding the Midlife Crisis. And he described the years as particularly being between 35 and 45. And even more specifically, around 40 years of age, give or take two or three years So especially commonly around 37 to 43, or funnily enough, after 13 years of marriage. Now, when I first heard of those numbers, when I was in my 20s, I thought, how ridiculously specific. But then I thought, well, I'll check the age at which people are referred to the practice. And this is many years ago, maybe 15, 20 years ago, I saw that the number one age at which people referred was 39 years of age. Now, just last week in preparation of this podcast, I thought, well, I'll look up this again. What's the most common age at which people are referred to our practice of 8,000 adults? The most common age was 39, about 10% more than you'd expect. Well, as we'll talk about further, that adds a little bit more credence to this idea of a midlife crisis that initially to me sounded a little bit like fiction when I was in my 20s, but then I saw this happen again and again and again over the years with clients. And it, and so knowing to look out for that helped for further understanding. 
Well, it is fascinating the degree to which, yeah, it does come up around these ages. And I know, Dad, that Elliot Jacques, the Canadian psychologist who coined the term midlife crisis, he also recognised that pattern, didn't he? Do you want to maybe expand on his work a little bit? Yes, well, Elliot Jacques was interested in creativity amongst many other topics that related also to organisational psychology. And he studied the lives of many creative people, including Mozart and Raphael and Chopin, a whole range of different people, over 300 of them. And he found that there were increased death rates between the ages of 35 and 39. And so he was intrigued by that and looked into it further. And he was able to come to an understanding more of what kind of challenges might be coming up in life around that time. So he coined the term midlife crisis and that was further popularised by a writer, Gail Sheehy, who wrote a book called Passages and she used the term then. But it actually also goes back a lot to the ideas of Jung, some others as well. So yeah, that'll become clear as we talk about it further. Well, certainly, yeah, like Jung is one of the most fascinating people in the world, I think. And this sort of stuff is quite central in some ways to some of his, I suppose, more famous ideas in a way. But I am fascinated by Elliot Jacques because I believe in that essay where he coined the term in 1965, it was entitled Death and the Midlife Crisis. And he had this quote from one of his patients at the time, which I found fascinating because I suppose as someone who maybe hasn't experience the maybe feeling side of this dad the somatic side i can relate to certain elements of this but his patient said up till now life has seemed an endless upward slope with nothing but the distant horizon in view now suddenly i seem to have reached the crest of the hill and there stretching ahead is the downward slope with the end of the road in sight and I just find that so interesting, Dad, because I suppose uh, someone, you know, still in my 20s, like, I can relate to that idea of thinking that we've kind of got endless time to do anything. And I know I've had conversations with friends about you know, moving overseas and starting businesses and all this sort of stuff. And we're very serious when we have these conversations, but it's not as if we're, you know, putting the plans in place at that time, if that makes sense. Like, there's almost an element of fantasy of, you know, when I get older, I'll do this. And I think that... I suppose, relates to a whole range of the earlier stages in life. You know, you ask kids when you're older, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like it's almost this almost abstract idea of of what do you want to almost point towards without necessarily having to follow it at that time. But I'm fascinated by that idea of, of the crest of the hill because I imagine that it would be quite abrupt almost the realisation that, hold on, maybe time is a little bit more finite than that. And I suppose you can almost try and rationalise these things to some degree. But when you, I suppose, recognise that on a real internal level and start to, I suppose, shift your perspective on, you know, how much long is left, like that would be such a, a stark change in perspective. Yes. And when you're young, you have endless possibilities, don't you? And also you're in your physical prime. So around the midlife years, there's that sense of one's mortality, sometimes for the first time that we become so much more aware of our mortality. And that can be a very confronting thing, including the loss of youth. So there can be some grieving that goes with that, but also this awareness that our possibilities are not endless. Our life is finite in some way. And yet there's something about that process that can help us, if you like, revise or refine our priorities. A little bit like we talked about in the last podcast about beginnings, middles and endings. 
And we talked about how when people are involved in a project of any length, whether it be for two years or three months, often people get going around the middle of that project thinking, hey, wait a minute, we better get cracking. There's actually a time limit on this. Well, Today we're talking about that experience in the context of your entire lifetime and there's nothing likely to concentrate your mind more than a sense of mortality to help you refine your priorities. Well, certainly. And and the other thing that strikes me about that, Dad, is that I suppose anyone, regardless of their life situation, regardless of their gender and life circumstances, will likely come up against some of these feelings regardless of I suppose the degree to which that is and I was struck by a quote from someone Kieran Setia his name is he wrote a book called Midpoint a Philosophical Guide and I believe he was someone who was you know quite successful in his profession and basically had quite a distressing midlife crisis and he describes it in a way that I think is really interesting he says he felt a disconcerting mixture of nostalgia regret claustrophobia, emptiness and fear. Looking forward, he saw only a projected sequence of accomplishments stretching through the future to retirement, decline and death. So he was someone who was doing, for example, very well in his life and was achieving all these things and and it was almost as if, I suppose, those achievements stopped giving him the meaning that they once did in terms of he looked forward and he thought, hold on, if this is just going to keep happening, well, maybe I'm not going to get the same amount of meaning from that. And and that's just one example, you know. Like, I'm I'm sure there'd be a, a range of other examples from people in, in a range of other set of circumstances. But he'd be someone who, I suppose, in some ways, we could look at from the outside and go, hey, you've achieved so much, you've you know, you're a successful person, you have many things in your life which must be, you know, from the outside, you know, going really well, all this sort of stuff. But when he describes things in that way about a shift in perspective that stopped giving him the same sense of pleasure and sense of meaning in the things that he was doing, well, like that's something that anyone would struggle with regardless of how that manifested for them, I think. Yes, that puts it powerfully, doesn't it? A disconcerting mixture and it includes regret emptiness and fear, or something that many people would recognise as the dark night of the soul, that kind of experience. And that's how it shows up when people present in therapy with these existential kind of questions, these concerns about who am I, how am I living my life, but particularly where it shows up on the surface as confusion and uncertainty and people are preoccupied with themselves, but with a fair bit of distress often and self-doubt. And often people are really struggling to understand themselves and figure out what's going on because they haven't maybe experienced something like this before. And people also can feel as though others aren't going to understand them because on the surface, as you described, someone might be achieving, they might seem to be objectively quite successful, previously they've seemed satisfied with that, but then there's this point where people can feel somewhat disenchanted. They can have this sense of time running out and wondering, look, is this all there is to life? For some reason, I'm not feeling so fulfilled. For some reason, I'm not feeling so satisfied. It can gradually emerge, but in a way that is beyond what the person can readily understand. But underneath it all, there's this questioning. The person's questioning whether they're on that kind of right kind of path for them. And so when you think about it, it makes sense for people to be questioning that more around that midlife stage. Well, certainly. And and one of the things that strikes me about that is, I suppose, the degree to which 
if someone's in that situation and what's worked for them in the past won't necessarily work again. Like I'll go back to that quote from Kieran Setia. This is someone who has almost changed his perspective on something that previously gave him joy. And I'm sure, you know, achievement is one thing, but that might be a whole range of other things that people have devoted time to and is seen as something being very important to them that all of a sudden they don't get this pleasure in anymore and and what fascinates me about that is I suppose this Jungian idea of how a midlife crisis and how experiencing some of these feelings actually relates to authenticity it actually relates to a sense of I suppose becoming more whole and acknowledging a side of ourselves that maybe we haven't acknowledged before and and I know that Jung described the midlife crisis as a self-healing mechanism so I wonder if you could just speak to that in terms of how it can be almost a positive or a good thing. Yes, well, this is especially important to understand as a psychologist or a client or a person dealing with challenges at this time in life because commonly we think that if people experience regret or confusion or uncertainty, self-doubt, we might think of that in terms of depression or anxiety or symptoms or something unwanted. But as you're describing, Jung thought this could be a healing process and Interestingly, Jung went through a discernible midlife crisis himself between the ages of 38 and 42, Freud the same between the ages of 38 and 43, and in each case they came up with a lot of their further developed theories about the psyche, about understanding people, and many others referred to this experience they went through as a creative illness. On the surface, it looked like an illness because of the distress that both Jung and Freud were experiencing at that time and the confusion, but ultimately a great level of creativity came out of it, including understanding more about midlife crisis kind of issues. But that shows it's important sometimes for us not to get hung up in thinking that psychological well-being is all about having less symptoms than more symptoms. If we go through a challenge or a crisis or we're trying to figure something out in our life or we're confronted about something or even dealing with challenges like COVID and our ways of coming through that or experiencing trauma or any kind of discontinuity in our life, it's really about how we ultimately make some sense out of that, deal with it, revise our priorities and come out of that. It's how we come through that that really counts not the level of discomfort we feel at the time. And that'll become clearer as we talk about what a midlife crisis involves. Well, certainly, and I think the fact that much of Jung's great writing came after his midlife crisis in many ways illustrates that fact because although it would have been very distressing for him, now we get so much wisdom that he was able to, I suppose, experience and articulate. But one of the things that fascinates me about that, Dad, is like you mentioned Jung and Freud experiencing the midlife crisis around those times. Like they lived 100 years ago when we had a different life expectancy. And I know if you look back even in ancient texts, like I think there was one in ancient Egypt that spoke about a, a world-weary man who they relate to a midlife crisis in the, the 12th century BC. Like, like they had a different life expectancy around then. But we still relate these ideas to a midlife crisis around the ages of, of, say, 37 to 43. So why is it that it occurs around those ages, even when, I suppose, the quote-unquote midpoint of life would have changed over the years as life expectancies changed? Yes, well, I still think in the first instance, the fact that it's around a midpoint of a pretty decent life, like four score years, that suggests that 
that's a key reason that people are going to be more aware of their mortality. People are going to get to that stage and they're going to be thinking, look, now I'm pretty likely to be in the second half of my life. Well, now that people live till they're 90 or 100 or whatever, they might not be, but still 80 years is a pretty good inning, so to speak. So people have that sense that they might well be in the second half of their life. What's left is shorter than what they've already lived. So that's one of the main points, as well as people no longer being in their physical prime so to speak. But I think there are a couple of other ways that I think about this. And one is that up until the late 30s, people are basically going to be following on their life direction, largely influenced by different factors that they might not have had so much control of. For example, your parents, your education, where you were living. And then it's your early adult choices, like what course you might do. Again, where you choose to live, your friendship groups. But basically, a lot of it's shaped by your earlier experiences and your earlier decisions. But once people are getting to their late 30s, it's like you've lived enough of your own life to be able to have maybe a little bit more of an independent understanding, a little bit more of an autonomous understanding of what kind of person you are or might be, what some of your differences are from other people or how you might have a different direction that you'd like to go in. There's enough time for these ideas to come up and you know yourself well enough to maybe make wholesale changes, but also you're young enough to justify making wholesale changes. For example, if you decided to change your career or live in a different country or even question whether you would continue in your marriage, these are very major kind of decisions. But if people really feel that they're maybe not going in the best direction for them and they're thinking of doing something else, well, people have decades to go to benefit from any shift in direction that might be more suiting for them, might be more fitting for their future. So I think that leads to a state of flux. People know themselves more to potentially have the confidence to make their own decisions and having many years to benefit from making that change. Whereas in the past, people would tend not to make very major changes in their 60s, 70s, even their 50s sometimes, thinking perhaps I've made my bed, now I'll lie in it. And actually, that's what's changing as people age. More people in their 50s are making wholesale changes as well. But part of the arithmetic, so to speak, is people anticipating how long they might have to live. And many people are going to find it very hard thinking, hey, I might be living another 40 or 50 years in this kind of direction. And this career doesn't suit me. This community I'm in doesn't suit me. This way of living doesn't suit me. And so then that will be an impetus for substantial change. Well, it is interesting, and I think it does make sense. Like, I remember being a kid, Dad, and you hear someone say, like, oh, 10 years ago, and you think, well, 10 years ago, like, how long ago was that? And then you get a little bit older, and you hear someone say, 20 years ago, how long ago was that? And then all of a sudden, you start thinking yourself, 10 years ago, I was doing this, 20 years ago, I was doing this, and it almost creeps up in you a little bit that way, but I can completely relate to that idea of, I suppose, maybe having a tangible aspect of, well, this is what, you know, 37 years looks like, I'm 37 years old now, whereas even for me now, like, I've still got a a couple of years before I get there, Dad, so I suppose I've still got a little way to go before I have to, I suppose, confront the uh, reality of that situation. I think you're right. I think the arithmetic does make an impact on how we process the reality of the situation because, like, we're all mortal, but it does have a different impact when you recognise, well, I'm very likely in the second half of my life. 
And the other thing that strikes me about that dad is how can we then tell when someone is having an actual midlife crisis in terms of the distinct elements that we're talking about today, like it strikes me that it would take a a whole lot of psychological insight for someone to even recognize that. Like for example, someone might be feeling depressed in the sense of they're not getting as much meaning in the things that they used to. They're not getting as much joy from the things that they used to. So how can we actually tell if someone's experiencing a midlife crisis as different to, hesitate to use the term like run-of-the-mill depression, but in terms of like how can we tell that someone's experiencing a midlife crisis as distinct to depression without those elements? Yes, I find it particularly interesting how it tends to show up in a therapy setting because it's actually fairly uncommonly talked about in CBT or psychology conferences often that I attend, yet it seems to be such a prevalent issue for people of that age. And in the first instance, when people present for a problem that might relate to burnout or anxiety or depression or trauma reactions, I think the arithmetic itself is relevant. If I see people who are a few years around that 40 years of age mark, I often assume that that's going to be a factor in people's lives, questioning their identity, questioning the sense of direction of being open to that. So the arithmetic is relevant in itself. But it does present in some different ways, I believe. First of all, it tends to ramp up the intensity of the person's discomfort or distress around their direction in life generally. So if people are feeling depressed, I think it tends to enhance or intensify that depression. If people are feeling burnt out, there'll be even more questioning about their direction or even feeling a bit more helpless in some way. So I think it tends to amplify the difficulties are there. But it also shows up in other ways in that people might be a little bit more confused about what they're seeking help with. They might find it harder to clarify or spell out what their concerns are. So when we ask people, commonly is our first question in therapy is, what do you hope to gain from seeing me? It can be harder for the person to articulate that. It's not so clear as they're dealing with, for example, depression or a trauma reaction or panic attacks. It might seem a little bit more disjoint or confusing. And it doesn't mean that the person hasn't thought it through enough. It's part of the nature of what challenges can come up at that age and stage of life. And another aspect of that is people sometimes presenting on the surface as trying to come across as more controlled, especially this happens with men, what we might call their persona, their face to the world, trying to keep up that face to the world of being a little bit in control or managing with things, partly it's relating to this difficulty of letting go and being vulnerable, being confused, being uncertain. And so there's actually a little bit of a clue in that. If people are feeling very uncertain, including in their therapy goals at that stage, they're experiencing this self-preoccupation and confusion. They're finding it hard to put into words. That might be somewhat frustrating, not just for the client, but even the therapist to get a sense of direction of what are we actually working on here. But it goes with the territory of these midlife issues that, again, we'll talk about further, but this disquiet that people have, part of it is accepting that as part of the nature of the challenge that they're facing. It is about their sense of identity. It is about their sense of life direction. It is about their sense of wholeness, so to speak. So I think that whenever 
we're seeing people of those ages and they're seeking therapy for some other difficulty, it's worth having at least some discussions around these themes. Well, that certainly does make sense in terms of some of those things that would come up and, and particularly around things like, for example, like more of an intensity of distress and those things because I suppose coming to terms with some of these ideas, like it would be, it would be so difficult and I in some ways made a bit of a mistake actually, Dad, by listening to a fair bit of Jung throughout the week and, and I absolutely love listening to Jung but in some ways it can make you feel a little bit like Sergeant Schultz in terms of, you know, I know nothing <laughs> but, but I suppose a, a really oversimplified way that in some ways Jung would describe this I imagine is almost as if in the first half of our life where we're trying to establish ourselves we're trying to achieve as much as we can we're trying to become successful and then it's almost like in the second half of our life we're trying to find meaning in that and I suppose when you look at things in those terms like it would make sense that it could be quite a in some ways like a violent shift between those two perspectives in terms of like if we go back to that that example that we spoke about before like it could be all about achievement and achieving as much as possible and then all of a sudden you realize that there's other things in life that maybe you should give a little bit more priority to and that you find an equal amount of meaning in but maybe you've neglected it a little bit too so I wonder if you could speak to that idea of of maybe like what is the purpose of a midlife crisis because it seems to me from what Carl Jung says is that there's a degree to which it helps maybe set us up or or transition us into that second stage of life. Yes a lot of it is about looking for more balance in our personality and life generally. It's looking to help ourselves be more whole, more truly ourselves. Living an authentic life is another way of looking at that. But I'm going to come back to something you said about listening to Jungian ideas or reading about Jungian ideas and having that feeling that I know nothing. Well, look, I think there's something profound in that because that's almost the mindset that we're looking to cultivate a little bit or tolerate a little bit when we're reflecting on our lives as we're going through the dark night of the soul. We're going through a kind of coming apart anyway. And in a sense, we can't help that. That's part of the nature of the dark night of the soul. We've talked about this process at other times as well, the stages of change. You're going on in your life, something tips the balance. Then it's the dark night of the soul. Ultimately, that commonly resolves in some way there's some kind of epiphany or new understanding and then you consolidate that and the midlife crisis is this kind of process writ large and now we're talking about the dark night of the soul well at that stage if you're looking to get the greatest meaning or understanding about it it really helps to suspend judgment and be reflective but these are some of the key things that it relates to if we're looking for more balance like you were saying in the first half of life People tend to be looking to develop their ways of relating to the outer world and in a very conscious kind of way. And often, even though I don't want to be too gender specific about this, but it's relevant to how we're socialised and much of our experience, young men are often looking to develop their achievement in certain directions. They're often quite goal focused. They might be focused very much on uh, work. Status will be relevant in certain kind of ways. And although life is more complex than this, quite rightfully, and we don't want to get caught up in rigid gender goals, often women will have developed something further of the nurturing side, like many women will have had children by that stage of late 30s, 
also will often have had a focus on developing their relationships and their emotional life, whereas men might have had somewhat less of a focus on their emotions, focusing more on that kind of rational thinking focus. Part of what we're talking about here is the difference between what Jung referred to as the animus, as the male spirit, and the anima, the female spirit. Well, men and women, we all have each spirit within us, if you like. But the first half of life, and relating to the outer world, men are often developing their animus, if you like, their male spirit around, again, goals and success in certain kind of ways, achievement, whereas women have often developed their anima, the emotions, the relationships, the nurturing. And the thing is, if we kept on developing those qualities if you like, in a linear dimension, keep on developing those kind of strengths, our lives would be even more out of balance. So what happens around midlife is often even the uncomfortable feelings in themselves can lead men well, and women to turn inward and men might be paying more attention to their emotions because you can't help it. And at first this might show up in some kind of moodiness or irritability, but this can be a sign for example, of a man looking to get more in touch with his feelings. The anima spirit, which is very important to be more whole as a person, whereas women might be becoming more assertive in certain ways, developing more of that animus spirit, maybe having done a lot in terms of nurturing and considering very much the needs and interests of others and might become more assertive in pursuing work direction or starting their own business or just becoming more assertive in their interactions with other people, developing more of that animal spirit. Now, this is a bit of a simplification, but I think it's relevant to understanding the notion of developing a complementary side to our personality. And that can also be an adjustment for other people around. For example, for the partner of a man going through this confusion when previously he'd seen to have all this direction and be confident and then going through this uncertainty and this preoccupation, it can be a bit of an adjustment for others or it can be an adjustment for, say, a male partner to accept his wife becoming more assertive or independent in certain ways. Again, I don't want to be too gender-specific. I know this can sound a bit sexist in some ways, this kind of language, but broadly these are the notions that apply. It's developing the complementary aspect. So for men and women, initially focusing on one's roles in the outer world and our persona, how we look to other people, and we're looking to develop more the inner world or more our self. And our self is a deeper kind of notion than the outward presentation of ourselves and our self relates to our personality type and our nature and we're looking to balance out those complementarities so to speak more inner also more attention to the unconscious rather than just the conscious so people might be noticing more dreams around that time or paying more attention to our dreams and so there are other things that we'll go through in future in relation to our dreams podcast episode but these dreams can include clues about how people are trying to find a further balance in life even if they're feeling confused and uncertain so the symbols or the images or the figures that can come up in dreams are a way of again drawing our attention inner paying more attention to the unconscious and looking to develop more ourself rather than just our persona that we develop in showing our face to the world
Well, there's a couple of things that strike me there, Dad, and of course this relates to Jung's idea of individuation, it seems, which I just think is just one of the most fascinating ideas in the entire world. But I suppose one thing that strikes me is it speaks to the notion of what you're saying in terms of the purpose, I think, of providing that balance between, say, the animus and the anima. And as we were discussing this last week, like it came to mind a couple of possibilities, maybe people who haven't developed the opposite side now i think it speaks to the idea of maybe the purpose of the midlife crisis in a way but like for example i think of people like donald trump and rupert murdoch people who on one level are are incredibly successful and you know have, have done a whole lot in their life but on another level maybe they're a little bit stuck with this idea of achievement and they haven't maybe had this sort of recalibration exercise that potentially comes with a midlife crisis And so maybe they give us a bit of an example of how contending with some of these ideas can provide us with a little bit more balance. Like they strike me as examples of people who really do have maybe things stacked too far in one way. They haven't gone through the process of of integrating maybe the opposite part of their personality as well. Yes, I think that's a very good example. Like let's say take Donald Trump, like so clearly acquisitive, materialistic, and looking to dominate in certain ways. Like even the kind of language being forceful and bombastic. Looking to use forceful ways to achieve one's ends, which could seem to be a compromise to relationships. Even meeting with other world leaders and coming across as very forceful is non-verbal language, for example. Speaking about women in a very objectifying kind of way that would not seem to be a person who's well in touch with his anima, so to speak. So he might say, has millions of dollars or have achieved being the President of the United States, but I don't think many people would think of Donald Trump as someone who represents wholeness and balance. <laughs> Certainly. And just to pick up on, on like, for example, your use of the term wholeness and balance, like we can look at that in terms of the animus and the anima and looking to balance those sides of our personality but I know Jung speaks about balancing other aspects of our personality when he talks about individuation and indirectly a midlife crisis as well so so what are some of those aspects that we also would look to balance? Yes well Jung was also interested in how we get more balance in our personality in relation to our personality types and many people will be aware of this through having done a Myers-Briggs test that looks at your personality in terms of certain main functions, as Jung described them. Intuition versus sensation or practicality, and thinking versus feeling. Now, we tend to develop a certain polarity of those early on in our adult life. Like, for example, for me, it'll be intuition and thinking. But then around midlife it's important to develop more the opposite side, which again, for me, would be developing more of the practicality and the feeling side. But for someone else, it could be vice versa. If they're very much a feeling sensation or practical-oriented person, then it might be important for them to develop more their thinking side and their intuitive side. So in addition to men developing more their anima, or the feminine characteristics and women developing more the animus, it's also developing more of these other complementary personality functions because that helps us be more balanced. And the general idea is if we keep on going just developing our strengths, 
or our main focus in the second half of life as we have in our first. And that means if we kept on focusing on our achievement in the outer world rather than pay more attention to our inner world, there'd be less balance. Same with these personality types. So it's about helping us be more rounded generally. So what you're talking about there, is it that like inherent within a midlife crisis, someone is likely to, for example, you know, recognise that they need to develop their anima a little bit more and, and for example, feel even, you know, on a basic level, sort of self-consciousness for not having done that. And so therefore the crisis comes out of, I suppose, recognising that there's an element of themselves that they haven't acknowledged or is it like what you're talking about there? Is that more of like a solution thing? Is that more like when people are going through a midlife crisis, they may not necessarily have an idea of, of what to do in that situation. But as Jung describes, and, and I wonder if maybe as you're describing there, the way to deal with some of that is to develop some of this balance that potentially the midlife crisis can hint that there is a lack of balance in a certain way. And what we can do is the solution for that is to look at individuation, some of these principles, some of what you're mentioning there. Yes, I think that when people deal with these challenges successfully, they're going to tend to go more inner. They're going to tend to be more reflective. They're going to be tolerating more their questioning of the direction that they've been in because this is what helps people find out more who they are independent of the influences of their upbringing or what their friends think or what they think they're expected to do. It's that going inner and looking to be more yourself. So it's hard to get away from that process of being reflective in some way, whereas a number of people might shy away from that challenge. And that's when they're more likely to say, buy a red sports car as though that'll be an answer or just acquire more money or look for more status or otherwise just focus even more on meeting the needs of others if someone's been too self-sacrificing that way. Basically, it's going to imply a kind of change that follows from going inwardly and looking more, what are the kind of things that really move you, give you joy as a person? What are also some of the things that you find genuinely challenging or frustrating in your life that you feel are holding you back? Is going to tend to involve that going inner to find the solutions. So how can people best go about that then? Because that strikes me as being such a difficult thing to do in, in so many ways because quite often it could be characterised by an intangible sense of sort of not feeling your normal self, not feeling the usual amount of pleasure in things, maybe thinking a little bit more about death for the first time in ever really. How can someone go about, I suppose, wading through what would inevitably be so many overwhelming ideas about who they are and who they want to be and, and what they've prioritised and what they should prioritise, all these huge questions. Like where would someone start with that? Well, I like the way you mentioned the term wading through because I think it is like that. It's the notion of accepting the confusion, understanding that there's actually something meaningful happening here or there's something meaningful that might come from it, looking to tolerate that discomfort. And as Peter O'Connor would describe it, people can respond to this kind of psychological challenge as either a threat, a loss or a challenge. Maybe it involves elements of the three, but with a different emphasis on it. But one of the ways I think about it is the notion of the word crisis. We would have mentioned before, the Greek word for crisis is the same as the word meaning to sift. 
I think the wading through that you mentioned earlier is evocative of that process of sifting. It's taking time to look at what's meaningful to us, what counts to us, what makes the most difference. It is coming back to that idea of what are our priorities in life and what are they going to be? It's a readjustment. It's a recalibration, if you like. It's a resetting of our direction. Well, for some people, it might involve some more minor tweaks, especially in terms of outer direction. But there will certainly tend to be changes that happen within in terms of a kind of growth if people are going to respond to this as a challenge and look to recalibrate their relationship with themselves in some way as well. Pay more attention to the inner be more open to one's inklings, feelings that are a guide as to how we might live our most authentic life, so to speak. And so I wonder then, like, for example, talking about some of these ideas, like can we, uh, for lack of a better term, get on the front foot and mitigate against a midlife crisis? Like, for example, if we're a little bit younger, maybe just pulling a number out, say the age of 28, Dad, just random number. Like there's so much about the midlife crisis that we've spoken about today, which relates to, I suppose, somatic feelings that maybe only come up around a certain age. But I wonder if maybe looking into some of these ideas before you really have to contend with them on a confronting personal level, like to what degree is that able to, I suppose, stop someone having a midlife crisis, to put it really bluntly? Okay, now one thing about this, the notion of individuation, which as Jung described it, is the process by which every living thing becomes what it was destined to become from the beginning. So this notion of destiny or becoming our most full self, if you like, our most whole self. Well, even if as Jung described that this would tend to commence in earnest around midlife, this individuation process is actually happening through our whole, certainly adult lives as we develop our sense of ourselves further, it relates to the spiritual questions of who am I? What is life on about? What are my priorities? What are the most important things to me? Well, we can make that revision at any stage, but people will tend to think about those things more and it will concentrate your mind more after a discontinuity. Something's leading you to change where you live or there's something that's shifting in your friendship group or it might be that you're shifting job in some ways or it might be trauma or there might be an uncommon new opportunity that comes up in some way. It might be reflecting on existential challenges like even looking to get your head around climate change or some bigger issues in life and how you'll deal with that. Anything that leads us to reflect deeply and go within and consider how we relate to the world but also how we relate to ourselves, something that leads us to reflect on those own personal values, interests, direction, anything that involves that reflective kind of process can help us deal with these issues. And the more that people are reflective early on and open to different kind of reactions and interested in some balance in their life and open to other people as well and accepting of other people, that's a way that people are likely to develop more roundedness which is likely to help people deal with a midlife crisis and maybe face less of a challenge in the first place if people have already reflected on their life direction or made some adjustments. And so that's likely to help compared to if someone's gone headlong in a certain direction thinking that will be the answer for their life, the achievement or just raising a family or whatever and thinking that's the key thing, that's what I stand for. 
if people have a more narrow kind of approach or goal at first, then that's likely to be more of a challenge than people who have reflected more deeply. Well, who that really reminds me of, Dad, is Ash Barty, who has obviously retired recently, much to my very own selfish, absolute heartbreak. But, uh, but at the same time, the decision that she made to retire, the manner in which she did it in, the way she described that decision, it struck of so much balance. And I suppose this is the kind of balance that we're talking about in some ways in terms of, like, you know, who knows what will happen in Ash Barty's life, whether or not she'll go through a midlife crisis, all this sort of stuff. But, but looking at that decision now, what it strikes me as is such a balance in, within herself to recognise that although for so long she'd prioritised you know, the animus in terms of the achievement and wanting to go as far with her career as possible, well, she recognised that actually that didn't quite maybe fulfil the fully integrated list of priorities that she had and maybe reflected on and maybe realised to a degree that is, you know, far beyond anyone else of her age who I can think of easily, Dad. So, yeah, I suppose it just puts it into perspective a lot more, the wisdom in that decision in terms of, like, someone like her to do that. Like, it just screams of internal balance in such a big way. Yes, and I remember saying to you at the time, and there she is retiring and she might have won so many more tennis majors and all the rest of it. I remember remarking to you at the time what balance she showed in this, and I remember you saying, yeah, maybe too much balance. (laughs) Other people had to go through that loss, if you like. But also the fact that she'd taken time out earlier and taken significant time out to play cricket, I believe. And so here was someone who'd already shown that capacity to step back from her life path, clearly based on deep reflection, do something different, and then she could rejoin at that stage the tennis path and all the rest of it. But clearly something in her might have broadened and changed by her earlier experience, but she also had the capacity to step back and do something different. That really is a remarkable psychological achievement for someone of that young adult age. Absolutely. Age and also, as you say, like we're so much ahead of her in terms of what she could have achieved. So, you know, if we're talking about balance in its literal sense, the, you know, anima, the inner ability to to care for people and nurture that must balance that ability to achieve. She must be an incredible person. But anyway, I digress. But what I then wonder is like we talk about some of this stuff as being such an inherently individual thing. Like it's about going within. It's about recognising elements of ourselves Like if someone's, for example, in a relationship or in a marriage, how is it then relevant to relationships? Well, one of the main things, for example, is when people are going through this midlife crisis experience, often it's so confusing, awkward, difficult, that people can be finding it really difficult to accept this struggle in themselves. If a partner recognises that, it can help no end. For example, if... A man's feeling that he's previously felt he was in control and going in a certain direction in life and maybe feeling a certain confidence and now feeling confused and unconfident and preoccupied and his partner recognises this change, to be accepting of that can help, for example, that man accept being more vulnerable, so to speak. Now, sure, this can work with the other gender as well, but if it's about a man developing more of the anima, Having some of that acceptance of the confusion by a partner and being supportive around that, rather than being overly reactive or judgmental, that can help greatly. But just say also, 
if it's a woman looking to develop her animus further, looking to take up a business direction or new study or do something different away from the nurturing role at home, if that has been a key part of her life, encouraging one's partner to do something for themselves to develop that life direction further. So people can be accepting and supportive of their partner developing these complementary aspects. And another thing that tends to happen in marriage is people can learn from their partner in terms of the polarities of thinking versus feeling, intuition versus sensation. For example, often partners might share one of those polarities. For example, they might be both thinking or they might have a strong feeling quality and that will help them communicate around that. But their partner might vary in terms of being more intuitive or being more practical. So people can, to some extent, learn somewhat from their partner's characteristics. So actually, marriage is partly a context. We could even sometimes consider it a a crucible for working through some of those inner conflicts around balance. And if our partners are supportive of that, and maybe also model some different characteristics that we can draw from, then that can help even further that kind of roundedness. Well, it strikes me, I suppose, the importance of recognising that in some ways. Like, it would be a, a rare thing, I imagine, that both partners would go through a midlife crisis at the exact same time. And it would be tough in some ways if your partner experienced such a shift in perspective that potentially meant they were prioritising different things that, you know, you both prioritise together, all this sort of stuff. Like, it, it just strikes me that it, there would be a need to, I suppose, be accepting of someone also in that situation who potentially did want to, I suppose, change things up a bit. Yes, and, and actually often partners will be going through some of those issues around the same time, which can add to the challenge. There might be a little bit of difference in the timing of that, but it can overlap when you think it occurs over a number of years commonly, and especially that broad range of 35 to 45 where it can happen so often partners will be coming through that together and that's where well for a success of a long-term relationship it's going to help each individual grow as well as help the relationship to grow through say a mutual understanding but part of the challenge is for each partner to accept the other as they are rather than you might say need them to be or even particularly want them to be And this might manifest itself, for example, as each partner developing or going in a certain kind of direction. For example, they might have dual careers that they've worked out in quite an individual way and supporting each other's direction. A lot of it's about helping support one's partner find what suits them, even if it involves a bit of a shift in direction. Now, that can involve compromises and adjustments and all the rest of it. But if partners are accepting and supportive in that way, then it helps the individual who's going through the challenge have the courage to make the changes they need to make and the trust in themselves to make those changes and the trust in others that that will work out okay. And as Peter O'Connor emphasises, these are two of the qualities that are really called upon for people to manage through that challenging time, manage with that reflective process, the disquiet that goes with that. That calls for courage and trust rather than just trying to gloss over it people are then more likely to work through in a way which is enhancing for the rest of their lives, being more fully themselves, and the relationship being more alive as a result. Well, thanks so much for chatting with me about all this today, Dad. It's been so interesting, and look, I must admit, in some ways it's 
it's not been quite what I expected it to be because I must admit, looking at some of this sort of stuff throughout the week, I thought that I related, I think, to some of these ideas a little bit more than I think I maybe do in terms of it seems to me that there's a lot of this sort of stuff which really is to do with like those specific ages in the middle of your life where you are going to be coming up against some maybe like feelings about what it feels like to, you know, confront feelings of death and all this sort of stuff. But going through those feelings for the first time, I think very different to maybe what even I can conceptualize as someone who's not really gone through that. And I'd be really interested to maybe discuss this with you a little bit more next week, because like I had this metaphor, which I think it relates a little bit, but I also don't necessarily think it just relates to a midlife crisis now that we've spoken about it but the way that I think about things and you know in terms of like change and and life circumstances and all this sort of stuff like there's sometimes in life where we might need to make a correction in a way but we do it as if we're driving a boat like it's just a small correction and we're just going down the river and we don't want to make too big of a correction because then the stern of the boat would come around and we'd end up like the ever given in the uh, Suez Canal but there's other circumstances in life which call for a more grand shift, like I almost think about it as almost like you're on a skateboard, like you put your foot down the back of the skateboard and you flip up on your back wheel and you spin on its axis on like say a 90 degree turn and it's almost like a, a, a really stark change of direction and and maybe the things that we spoke about with David Cherry and building habits and things like this, maybe they are to do a little bit more with this idea of steering the boat, just just a little bit sort of gently steering it in either direction Whereas I think what we've spoken about today, and I'm excited to maybe expand on it a little bit with you more next week, because uh, I know Jung and Aristotle and all these titans of philosophy that I absolutely love have spoken about these ideas in terms of those situations in life, maybe like a life crisis that calls for that more marked shift. But I suppose what I've, I think, come to recognise today is that you know, in some ways, the midlife crisis, it's almost like the archetypal crisis. It's everything that, you know, that we'll potentially speak about next week and more in terms of some of the feelings that you would come across potentially for the first time in your life or inherently for the first time in your life. Like it would be be so difficult to go through some of those feelings when you don't have a concept of it. It's such a, a new thing to be going through and to have to recognise that you need to go in potentially a whole new direction and change things up in a, in a marked way. So I suppose that's really stood out to me this week is the degree to which, you know, it's a crisis, but a midlife crisis, it's, it's its own beast, for lack of a better term. You don't want to sort of trivialise it. But, uh, but yeah, it, I think there are some things distinct to a midlife crisis that would make it really difficult but also seem really normal now that we've spoken about them. Yes, you mentioned about wrestling with the topic. It's partly because the topic in life when we're experiencing this involves a kind of wrestling. And hopefully in discussing it the way we have, hopefully that helps people wrestle with it in a way that helps get more meaning out of the midlife crisis. Absolutely. Well, we'll put all the resources for today's episode up at sykesbills.com.au. I reckon I'm going to get into some young, but I reckon I might leave it a couple of days before the podcast because I'll tell you what, I got in here today and I just thought, oh, but but Jung said this and Jung said that and I felt a bit scrambled with it all, I must admit. So uh, I reckon if I give it a couple of days to incubate, I reckon that'll be a little bit easier to get my head around. Sounds like a good idea, Rowan.